Hello and welcome to Moonshot, a show by Sequoia India and Southeast Asia that profiles innovative startups and inspiring founders who are dreaming big, making an impact and driving change across the region. I'm your host, Dewi Fabri, and throughout this podcast, we'll be introducing you to founders and thought leaders who are helping shape the region's startup ecosystem. We hope this podcast will give you fresh ideas on how to start and scale an enduring company. Unacademy, which started off as a YouTube channel, is now one of India's largest edtech companies. The startup, which is on a mission to democratize access to quality and affordable education in India, has helped over 10,000 educators reach more than 50 million learners since it was founded in 2015. Unacademy's subscriber base has grown by more than five times in the last year alone. On this episode of Moonshot, Gaurav Munjal, co-founder and CEO of Unacademy, talks with Chailendra Singh, Managing Director at Sequoia India, about building and scaling iconic products, creating a culture of experimentation, and how the DNA of a startup's founders can impact its trajectory. The conversation took place during an AMA at Surge, our rapid scale-up program for early-stage startups. Thank you, Gaurav, again for coming back. Every cohort, uh, he's been there to, to share his journey and learnings. Um, his sessions tend to get the wildest ratings, mostly the highest. So his radical candor is very, very uh, uh, infectious, at least for folks like myself. I think we can introduce him like in this last two and a half years, Unacademy has done really well. You know, I don't know how many hundred million now Gaurav has raised, probably a billion dollars or, or at least seven, eight hundred million easily. And uh, the company has gotten to triple digit million revenues, one of the two largest two tech companies in India. I think Gaurav has personally grown a lot in the last four or five years. Gaurav will keep it super free flowing and interactive. Thank you for taking the time again. And um, let me ask you, what are the things you would like to talk about first? Because you come to enough search sessions, you've talked about brand distribution hacks, traction channels. You also, some of your personal productivity hacks, your, how you deal with mentors, how you deal with board how you deal with shareholders. Some of those have been loved by the prior search cohort. So I have a list of topics and you and I briefly discussed on WhatsApp, but any specific topic that is top of mind for you that we should get started on? I think my uh, top favorite topics are essentially how do teams uh, do high growth and um, if, if, if you, and, and how does blitzscaling happen? And if you keep that as the top of the priority and you know, uh, one of the sessions in Guild by uh, Mike, where um, um, we were talking a lot of stuff about culture with him and we were asking a lot of questions, but essentially he said that uh, winning is the culture. So I think this is something that we have been able to retain at an academy that yes, other things are important, but the most important thing is that you're winning, whatever your North Star metrics are, those are being achieved, whatever your targets are. And essentially, doing things differently from a product point of view and from a marketing point of view, because essentially your startup will just boil down to you building the right products and doing great marketing around it. And how can you build iconic products? How can you do great marketing? And personally, I think a lot of people in the room will uh, go through their own journey. Um, It's like a emotional roller coaster ride. Um, There will be, there were moments, um, there, for example, there was a phase in an academy's journey where I was rejected by 18 investors uh, when I was trying to raise a series D round. And how do you still keep going um, and not give up? So I think uh, 
Oh, no, actually, this is, this is great. We'll come to brand and products and how to do blitzscaling. I think for everybody's benefit, it would be helpful if you want to give any life story. Like, you know, so how did Unacademy start? How did you stumble on this? What are the first few years? Like, I, think, I think that sets up a very nice context. So maybe you want to share, you know, your life history prior to Unacademy and also the, the, the start in the first one or two years of Unacademy. Essentially, what we are is because of the DNA of the founders. And uh, the founders, um, Himesh, Roman, and I come from a very strong content and product background. Uh, for example, both Himesh and I started coding at, the, at a very early age and started building products, not just coding because that was expected out of you at your school, school curriculum. And then uh, Roman and I started being content creators very early and started understanding platforms like Quora and YouTube, even before Unacademy officially started as a private limited. Uh, and this is when um, we were doing other things in life. So I, I just think that, you know, we at, at one point, and, and we come from very diverse backgrounds. For example, the first time I met Himesh was uh, when I started the company Flat Chat, and he was the first engineer. And uh, one thing I liked about him is that um, I was interviewing him for uh, the engineering role, and he was still in his college um, and uh, I sent him a ticket to, a, I sent him a train ticket to Mumbai and he took that train ticket the very next day and came on board. So I think uh, similarly with Roman, he quit uh, the coveted civil services job uh, to start up. And now a lot of people are doing it, but then it was unheard of. Um, and um, and it, it is not like he spent a couple of years there. It was just uh, within the first 12 to 18 months that he quit. So I think I've been, uh, uh, we have been fairly uh, lucky and privileged with the kind of team members who have been a part of this journey. And, um, and then one of the most important things that we did right was, see, I, I think more than the decisions we got right, I like to believe that um, there are certain things that we didn't do. For example, I remember on day one, I think it was day 30 or day 40, we had launched a uh, tests platform, like uh, uh, where we could sell tests for UPSC and tests for SSC, etc. And this is like day 40 of starting the company. And, and, and the test platform started starts doing 1 lakh rupees a day in revenue. Uh, but one interesting thing I was observing was that our mission always was to build this YouTube for education. And suddenly everybody is talking about selling tests. And one day, uh, we decide internally that we are going to shut this down, even though it's doing very, very well. This is 2015. And over the years, we took a lot of calls like these. And, and you know one of them in which, 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 which stemmed from our brainstorming session at Leela. Uh, I think over the years, the things we said no to or the pivots that we did uh, define us more than the things we did. Um, so I think, I think and, and, and that DNA, we would have been like a very different selling test content company if we would not have taken that call. It is fairly crucial uh, that we said no to certain things and we believed in a vision and a direction. And, uh, and, and, and then, you know, I, I mean, there were times that um, we could have sold our content in pendrive. I mean, Roman's UPSC videos were fairly popular. So we could have sold those videos uh, in a pendrive, just like how other tech players were doing and made a lot of money. But I think, I think we were very grateful to have investors like Sequoia on board because for the first four years, we were not monetizing. And we had this vision that 
we will monetize once we have a platform and we will monetize in a different way and not just through field sales. We still don't do field sales. It's 2021 and every tech company in this country does. So I, I, I think when I look back, it's not the things that we did right. It's those butterfly effect moments where um, we took certain calls which changed our trajectory. Gaurav, I think uh, your, your pivots are quite, quite uh, distinctive in how bold they were. Um, you want to talk about the mindset. How do you have the mindset to take bold bets? How do you do it? How do you personally do it? And how do you get the, like now it's easy. You have a lot of resources to do it. But even when you didn't have the resources, you were able to garner the support of your board and shareholders and, and do very bold things in the early years. When you did not have so much revenue, you did not have 500, $600 million on the balance sheet. Two things for that. One is a leadership skill that I teach my team and I would like to tell everyone else. And the other thing is, I think you need to decide, everyone here will need to decide what game they are playing. I think early on, we decided that we will play the high risk, high reward game. We do not want to be a profitable $100 million company. We do not want to play, and I'm not saying it's a small game, but at that time, we wanted a different game. We thought that the game that we wanted to play in, and this is in 2015, I think it it uh, it became a self-fulfilling prophecy that we have to be a unicorn. Um, we just said we'll play the consumer game, we'll play the funding game, we'll play the growth game. And for that, once you have that, like this is it. I mean, other than that, it's failure. We don't want to then just be, either we want to be really successful and like really uh, highly valued, or we just want to fail. So once we got that clarity, in the very first year and anybody who would ask me that in 2015 or 2016, then that I would just say, I mean, that's not the game that we are playing. I think that made things very, very easy. When founders are confused about what game they want to play. If somebody wants to play the bootstrap game, Bhavan is one of our board members. He just recently raised his first round of funding, but like since age 18 to now he's 40, um, he is playing the bootstrap game. And uh, he's doing a great job at it, but he knew his game well. And then whatever principles he had, he was following them. For us, it became that, that it's very clear that we want to play the high risk, high reward game. And we don't want to get stuck in the small game syndrome. The second thing is that, and, and, and this is the leadership culture that most leaders will inculcate in an academy also. Uh, once we decide a goal, then for example, if we have to do a pivot, then the question is not about who will give us pain, who investor kya bolega, who will say that. Then the question is just about let's strategize and align everyone. So most people look at the effort that, that it takes to align everyone and sometimes give up there. Or we just sit on the drawing board and say, this is what we have to do. This is the outcome. We have decided this. Now just let's figure out a way to align the board. Let's figure out a way to align team members, et cetera. So I think because we are, we don't have the effort minimization framework, but regret minimization framework. And, 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 and we just ourselves asked ourselves, will we regret doing this? In most cases, if we were, if we would have been, for example, if I would not have pivoted to the sub subscription model, I would have always regretted not knowing what would have happened. And that's why we did it. So I think these, these are the two things like knowing what game you play and just internalizing that. Uh, because if you if you are confused that whether you want to play this game or that game, 
then it's going to be a tough journey because then the decisions were not will not be so easy in fact our pivots were not so difficult because the question was like where we want to go will this help us get there faster or will that and that's how the decisions became easy the decision was no, not ke, you know uh, you be good the dis- the decision was always either an academy will be great or it will be an utter failure we will not be a good company either it has to be a great company or it has to be a failure <laughs> actually it's very interesting so first you were very clear that you want to build a great company but second you also did something very unusual you know i remember all our chats when you said i want four years of runway so uh so you know you were taking this high risk high beta approach but you had covered yourself by having a very very long runway at each point in time so the conversation goes something like this i would tell god of god of you lazy raise the last rounds all of that money is still in the bank and the prior round is also in the bank why are you raising more and god would always say because i want four years of runway so i was like look no company has four years of runway and you you also want four years of runway of a much higher burn level than you have currently so like isn't this too much money and he would always say no i want four years of runway because i want the license to to try many things you want to double click on that god of like you you of all the founders i worked with on the one hand you had the duality of crazy ambition on the other hand you also played the safest on on the amount of runway you have kept which is amazing right like it's a powerful duality um you want to double click on that see i think while we all are building our businesses um we are going to have days where we are extremely anxious um one of the things we always optimized for is that you can't do many pivots or you can't do so many experiments and you can't do you can't live in this chaos if you have the sword of money running out hanging over your head so if you have to do something very different for example i don't think i could have innovated with 18 months of runway because then i would be forced to continue to work on what's already working instead of trying something new because when you have when the runway is less then your mind will because every experiment will take 6 months to tell you whether it's successful or not and if you have 18 months of runway and you start doing an experiment now you have just 12 months of runway i think i gave up my equity uh, for peace of mind i think it was a i am proud of that trade off i will continue doing it all my life because i think um, money is secondary you will earn a lot of it but if the company is successful all of us will make money and bhavan told me when one thing very interesting that above 100 million dollars the value of money is uh, it's diminishing returns so again going back to the time that pers- more than having this company succeed was more valuable for us than our personal wealth so and 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 these decisions became easy it's not just that we were playing safe it's just that to do so many experiments we had to have that peace of mind that after 6 months or if this experiment fails we spoke about two pivots that were successful apart from that we must have done eight or 10 pivots that were not successful but that having that runway gave us um, that peace of mind and clarity that okay no problem now you can try once more or you can try differently or something like that so i think 60 70% it was just this peace of mind which which let us experiment and innovate because we like to think that um, we have sort of like an invention dna at an academy even if we want to do better content we'll ask ourselves how would we do it 
completely differently than how others are doing it. Even if you have to run a Twitter handle, or even if you have to do an ad, we will ask ourselves that how can we do it differently? Because experimentation and invention is so uh, glued in the DNA that if you have that sword hanging over your head of money run, running out, I don't think we could have ever executed this thing. And then it's it's always about, oh, this is working. Let's just keep doubling down on that. Whether or not in a 10-year journey, it's the right thing to do. Well, actually, I have myself, like, again, I know the answer, but for the benefit of the group, you want to talk about some of the resource allocation you do now with, with the new projects, with aqua hires, with how you're with the, how you're innovating now as a large company? Because I think it's still relevant to many of the founders that like, how do you launch a second or a third product? So first you had pivots that were company defining pivots, right? The core model. Now you had lately, you know, new product launches, which are additional adjacent markets and so on and so forth. So now you're you know, evolving to more platform strategy with more products. So you already have product one that works and that now, now you've scaled it. You know, how are you thinking about, how do you internally do resource? those teams, the, you know, how those teams run, do they have their own budgets? Like, you know, share a little bit about how you're doing, because, you know, several folks here are post PMF, they will be able to scale their product one quite clearly from, from the early traction. And they'll think about the second and the third product. So, I mean, again, we did a lot of experiments on this. We failed a bit. So if it is if there is 70, 80% overlap to your core business, then I think it's the core team that should pick up that product. For example, um, Unacademy is taking a very different approach now where we will launch multi-categories across categories like test prep, global test prep, K-12, etc. Um, and that also involves a lot of work. And we like to believe that it's almost like reinventing the product and you will have multiple approaches. So I think if that is the case, that should be the core business. But if you want to do something completely different, or let's say the overlap is 20-30%, what we are doing with ReLevel and Graphy, um, ReLevel sort of wants to disrupt the whole college experience and also get uh, help people get placements, and then Graphy wants to be a SaaS product. There, I think uh, most of you must have read uh, uh, Kristen Clayton's book, uh, Books, Innovator's Dilemma, Competing Against Luck, etc. Uh, he, he is a very strong proponent of how you should have independent and autonomous teams. And then there is another book called Loon Shots. Make a team of five to 10 people, give them the budget. Uh, don't give them targets for the first few months until they hit PMF. Just let them continue to experiment. Once they continue to experiment, figure out a way how you will integrate it. Because if you are doing new projects as a part of your core team, your core team's priority will always be what's bringing in revenue. So they will always be um, pressured that these are the targets that we have to achieve or these, this is what our annual operating plan looks like and we have to hit the goals of next quarter or something like that. But if you have a 10-member team, and, and this is highlighted in this book, Loon Shots, very clearly, and, and then we did this with Graphy and ReLevel, and you, they don't have the pressure of numbers yet until they hit PMF or TMF. So I like to call product market fit and traction market fit. I think both are equally important though we talk less about traction market fit. Once they hit that, I, I, then you can start giving them numbers, et cetera. And one of the things that has worked very well from us, very well uh, 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 at an academy is, uh, we literally now even have a formula today that, um, and I have never shared this publicly, but I'm, I'm hoping that it will be fine. 
early stage companies that didn't hit PMF and are not going anywhere, but founders have a lot of hunger. We do, we have done several of those uh, uh, acquisitions for let's say 5 million, 10 million, 15 million. Um, and now we can afford to, by the way, this is not a strategy that will work for you at this stage. It, it might work for you, let's say, when you're valued at 500 million, 600 million. And um, according to some of the things I heard, some of you are going to be valued that way in the next 60 days. So uh, you can do these small acquisitions. The team hunger is important uh, and their engineering capabilities and marketing capabilities are important and, and give them five, give, give them a couple of million dollars or a couple of crores and let them do those experiments. What also helps is that if you're doing this, it helps in your core business because you get a lot of insights. How, if you talk, for example, like, like just like a, a venture capitalist gets a lots of insights because they see the macro play of a lot of startups. If you are doing multiple things and, and don't do it unless your core business is making a lot of money and is healthy. If, and, and once you do that, I think it's going to help you a lot. And eventually, where comes a point where your core business is just growing, let's say 50% year on year, 60% year on year. That's the time where these zero to one experiments would have become at a, would have come at a stage where they will bring the next level of growth. Because if you know that your core business is going to stall two years later, start doing something else today because it will take two years for the other project to be relevant. Yeah, very helpful. Gaurav, do you want to share a little bit about how you set iconic goals for yourself and for the company? What's the process you follow? How do you share it with people? How do you share it with board members, etc.? cetera? You, 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 you do a lot more blue sky thinking, planning several years out, at least, and you do it quite transparently. Um, you know, uh, you want to share that? I think it's very important how, uh, like what the founders and leadership of an academy thinks about startups. For us, it's almost like a mission. Uh, it's not just about making money. Uh, money is secondary. What we truly believe in is that if we can change the world for the better through our products. When that happens, and once you take that vision, which you truly believe in, and align everyone else to that vision. For example, one of the iconic goals that we have is that degrees are going to be irrelevant or we have to make degrees irrelevant because 97% of colleges do not teach well and do not provide you placements. And the core job of college is to help you get a job, whether or not people talk about it or whether or not people accept it. There are very, very few people who uh, study something for the sake of studying something. But most people go to a college <coughs> knowing that uh, after four years, this is what the placement will be. But colleges have not innovated. Just like Tesla is disrupting cars with oil, I think there will be a time, there will be a product, there will be an online education product which will essentially disrupt colleges, which can say that, let's say, for 18, in 18 months, you can learn the best computer engineering and you can even get a job. And once you set iconic goals like that for yourself and people know that this is very, very interesting stuff, uh, I think what it does is it aligns the team, aligns the team to the goal. But what it really does it is it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I wake up every day knowing what my five or 10 year goal is. I wake up every day that 
and and this this is what happens with the founders and the leaders because when i'm interviewing a leader when i'm interviewing an svp level person or a cxo level person and when we talk about this goal they get excited because it's not just about test prep it's not just about k12 it's not just about doing sales eventually our goal is even what apple did is innovation is something that that's a science and and in 2021 it's definitely a science for example apple does it in a very interesting way apple says we are going to build the best consumer products uh, best hardware consumer products in the world and they have this internal process that every year they have to launch new products in an event so it essentially forces everyone to innovate that what are you going to launch in the next event now maybe some events are poor some events don't have great products but every two or three years or every four years they will come up with something iconic i mean even after iphone airpods and apple watches are two products that have been fairly successful and fairly good so i think this what iconic goals essentially do is help i personally believe that if you don't think about doing iconic stuff you will never do it because there are easier ways to make money there are so many inefficiencies in the world that if you don't think about how to build iconic products you can easily make money through normal ways for example in 2016 2017 with roman's content or and we had five six more teachers we could have sold their content in an sd card with a sales team of 2000 members and i'm telling you that we in probably to 2018 we would have reached a 50 million dollar annual revenue run rate which we did very late which which we did probably 18 months after that because we were very clear that we will take some long time but we will solve the problem in an iconic way through an iconic product which will be significantly better and then the subscription product today has 700000 paid users and we believe that it is significantly better than selling content in an sd card so i think it's we set iconic goals for ourselves because it's it's sort of like we are fairly lucky we have some of the best investors in the world we have a great team that can build iconic products it's sort of our fiduciary responsibility to humanity and and i'm i mean it might sound like crazy stuff but i actually believe in that that i mean very 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 few companies make good products so if you can make great products and make the world better and make products that you are yourself going to use i think that's a mission and if you don't plan for that mission you're not going to do that that's why we set iconic goals and then we align the team to achieve it we align our investors etc iconic goals also help do a lot of uh, it, it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy it helps you think harder on how you can not just make money but innovate a lot and third it aligns everyone you know you talked about this obsession with products you also are very obsessed with having great brands especially for consumer internet companies it's very it's very relevant you want to double click on how you guys think about product and brand both i think what most people don't realize is that if you are playing the game for 5 or 10 years your strongest moats will be your brand and product your traction channel for example what we did to acquire our first 10000 users versus what we did to acquire from 10000 to 1 lakh users versus what we did to acquire from 1 lakh to 1 million users are different traction channels initially it was us making videos on youtube then it was something else then it was performance marketing then it was you will have various traction channels but essentially if you are able to build an iconic brand 
in the long run that becomes a moat if people associate your category with your product and that will not happen if you have not created a brand if you want to buy a phone today you will think about two or three brands if you want to buy shoes today you will think about two or three brands you have to carefully create content and then distribute content either through your own channels or through other platforms like tv essentially brand building is about creating content that resonates with the user and helps you and helps them think about your product when they think about the need of your category or of the, of the market if i want to learn online or if i want to crack an exam we want to be the first brand that comes in the heads of our consumers we want to be the most aspirational brand and 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 we didn't for for example we had a brand book when before raising series b we had a brand book correct actually at our first board meeting i ever went got of showcased a brand book and i was like whoa like you have a brand book you're a young company uh and a physical brand book and you know everybody was stunned that this little young company has a brand book i think brand can be a very awesome long term moat um i think what zomato has done in india is very aspirational what nike has done uh what apple has done uh, very aspirational brands um hotstar is creating a phenomenal brand in india i think hotstar is doing a better job than netflix in india um uh, and uh, yeah so i think i think brand is a solid moat and product and see but because these are very long term moats and these are not going to help you in the next 3 to 6 months um uh, you need an alignment from your board members from your team members from your co-founders from everyone that we are playing the long game and trust me the best 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 growth lever is the most phenomenal growth lever is to make a product that is significantly better than anything else out there like if your product is 10x better than anything else out there if you have invented something if you have created the category for yourself if you are a category creator um like it 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 essentially gives you 2 to 3 years of uh, like it's been two and a half years since we launched the subscription product no one has i mean i was hoping a lot of people should copy that product because this is the way to go about it people are not good at copying stuff like uh, unless you have a really really strong founder you are competing with so you every time you invent something you get at least 24 months um, of headway you want a product guy you you are self taught on all these things talk about how you read so many books how do you learn so fast and how do you how did you learn all this stuff because you know you're you're an engineer you did software engineering earlier and then you started an academy by 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 launching coding videos yourself right on youtube yeah <laughs> like most guys who launch coding videos don't talk about brand the way you do so like like how did how did talk about the shift and how have you learned th- these ideas on product and brand talk about your journey of learning and self improvement the real answer is i'm addicted to this game like i i i want an academy to be the best consumer internet company there ever is we want to build the best products and not just in education and it's just sort of this relentlessness and uh, pursuit that we have to win this is the dna we have in our co-founders this is the dna we have in our leadership team we have to be the greatest ever we have to build things in the way they were never built and i think we get a kick when we do something very very different now if you want to do stuff that's fairly different and that's fairly unique if you are consuming content 
from your normal resources like you will follow the five founders that everyone else follows in the country or in the world or you will follow um, five books that everyone reads or you will watch the five videos that everyone reads then you will be very conventional in your thinking but when you start to discover internet and and the sort of learning platform it can be for example there is a 1996 andy grove talk about strategic inflection points it's on youtube it's free it has just 22000 views and andy grove built one of the most iconic companies ever he built intel he invented okrs but we talk about a lot of okrs because uh, you know one venture capitalist wrote a book about it and then it dropped but there is a lot of other content also so i think if you are relentless in your pursuit to learn a lot about this game like how did the best players of this game this is i mean who are we kidding this is a game i mean if we can uh, if we can talk about basketball players or cricket players and a game and they will study how a batsman 30 years ago used to bat then why should we not study that how andy grove used to do management or how he used to do one on ones or how he used to do goal planning there is a frank slutman talk it's a podcast it has just 10000 views on youtube and it's again one of the best pieces of content i've ever seen and most people here and i'm not even asking you because i know the answer and most people here would not have seen these talks jack dorsey 2013 talk why combinator best pieces of content so and once you see this stuff you resonate with it a lot and and, and the mind opens up that's when you start discovering that there are 500 ways to play the game in a way that nobody has ever played and i think i think after a point it becomes addictive i mean first time first two three times you do it you force yourself to do it but then you start having fun in it and because nobody else is doing it and then because then you learn things that nobody else is learning and your game becomes better then you want to do more of it so it becomes sort of like a virtuous cycle Yeah, thank you for sharing all of you. I think you have learned a lot from the internet. I'm also amazed at how many books you have read and found time to read. Like I don't know how many founders you have found time to find time to read books, but but you read a lot of books even now. Yeah. Now it's uh, YouTube videos, podcasts, books. I sometimes have a I have a reading guy and I have a productivity team and I have a reading guy in that team. So sometimes he would just summarize the book for ten pages for me, and I will just read those ten pages. So I I think I have made processes around that. Actually, one time you had shown us your notion and how you how you do personal productivity, you know, which is which is very very crazy. But you referred to this personal productivity team. You you want to double click? I was a micromanager, let's say in twenty sixteen twenty seventeen, and then Shalendra gave me some feedback, and I I stopped doing that. But essentially, and 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 I stopped doing that till the time people are achieving their targets. if they're not achieving their targets then i will double down on what went wrong because you have to find the root cause of why the targets were not achieved every single time i double down on why certain targets were not achieved i find a glaring gap they don't have great productivity systems they don't have any tools that they used to be product this is sometimes at vp level this is sometimes at svp level this is sometimes at founder level i was not productive until 4 5 years ago and today once once you have let's say a person who runs a team of 100 people come to you and say that the targets were not achieved i usually have a list of 10 15 questions that i go by i would like what were your productivity systems 
uh, what can you tell me what the planning was done? Can you tell me how were the goals disseminated to your teams? Uh, can you tell me if you gave any deadlines? Um, what time do you wake up? What time do you sleep? Then I do a proper root cause analysis and try to understand the person on how um, they run their productivity systems. And I'm most of the times disappointed because these are silly errors. For example, the biggest, biggest silly errors. And this Keith, who was the CEO of Square, also talks about a lot in his, one of his iconic videos. Again, very iconic video is the concept of, he says, most important tasks. I call it needle moving initiatives. Every Sunday, all my leaders make a list of 10 needle moving things that they have to do in the week. If you don't plan this, and if you do the work that comes to you, the output will be very, very little. So you can read the blog post in detail, but the summary of that is people do very little needle moving work. I will give you an example. I was in London a few weeks ago with some of my friends and my co-founders. And uh, first day we had planned literally everything that these are the five places we'll go, et cetera. Phenomenal nine on 10 day. Next day we were like, let's just play by the year. I think it was a two on 10 day because we went to a shitty bar and we went to a, it was a poor day. And then, you know, we built this and, and going back to the needle moving framework, you will not pick the most difficult and the most impactful tasks unless you plan for it and set a deadline for it. You can be 10x more productive than you are in your day just by building basic systems that every Sunday, write a list of 10 needle moving things you will do. There is this concept called IV productivity. Read about that concept. It was invented by somebody called Ivy Lee. Otherwise on Tuesday, you don't have a list of the needle moving things you have to do. So you will do your normal cadences and you will, somebody will come into your room. You will have a discussion. You will think you are busy, but busy does not mean outcomes. And trust me, you can do 10 X more than what you currently do. Just become more disciplined, just become more smart about planning your weeks, planning your days. It's, it's like, I'll give you one real example. I was really bad at cracking these J and IT exams and all that, but Roman was really good at it. So, and, and this is like two, three years after he has cracked and I'm in my engineering college and he's in a medical college. I'm in a shitty engineering college. He's in the best medical college and we meet. And then I'm, then I ask because I had not achieved anything by them. So the only metric that I knew how to judge a person on was what college they went to. And I asked them. And the first thing he says is, you could not correct the exam because you did not study mnemonics. And then he says that first you need to learn how to learn. So, and, and that gave me an insight that, oh, somebody would have told me in 11th standard, I would have probably gone to a better college than the current one I'm in. Uh, similarly, if you spend a lot of time on how to execute, how to operate, there is a very, very mind blowing talk by Keith, the chief operating officer of Square earlier, and now he's the partner at Founders Fund. He works, he has worked very closely with Peter Thiel, amazing operator. One hour talk by him on how to operate, life-changing. So once you start learning this, you will see that in those 10 to 12 hours a day, 12 to 14 hours a day that you work, you are five or six, six X more productive. Gaurav, you have done, first, I want, I want people to hear about how crazily relentless you are, okay? Like, and, and how did you build a relationship with DP? Can you actually give that story to people? And uh, 
you know, and with some others. Uh, one time, Gaurav showed me a screenshot where there's a famous unicorn founder in India, and Gaurav had basically pinged him, no response. Two three months later, pinged him, no response. Two three months, it's like a one-way chat, okay? Like I saw screenshots of a one-way conversation where Gaurav was pinging this person, and that person was not responding. Of course, now that person respects Gaurav like crazy, and you know, uh, he'll, he'll <laughs> you know, he'll gladly take it, take the chance to speak with Gaurav, but. You know, I was like, wow, this is incredibly relentless. And then Gaurav, you shared your philosophy that, you know, you, you don't take rejection badly, right? Like you are, you don't take it personally. You don't, you're not egoistic about it. So do you want to share about your relentless philosophy in going and getting talent, going and getting, you know, mentors, people who, who have gotten associated with an academy? So I think, I think early on, what I believed is that let's say when I met Shailendra for the first time and the things in 2017, he spoke about was very, very different than what most investors talk about. And that's why internally we were very relentless that we have to get Shailendra on board, whatever it takes. So we were pursuing him and then I was, we were pinging each other on Twitter, etc. Because just like everywhere else and uh, in, in startups also and in human beings also, in leaders also, there are certain leaders who have this immense knowledge arbitrage. But there are, let's say, top five or top 5% of people, entrepreneurs, investors, leaders, players, who have this immense knowledge arbitrage. They have figured out some rules of the game that most others are struggling to figure out. That is why for me, Bhavan, I, Bhavan was a person I, and I used to work in his company. And I just used to see that he comes from a very humble background, middle-class background, and the way he built a uh, $300 million direct tie company and then eventually a billion dollar media.net then. And then, um, I mean, you would see him, I mean, there was this, and, and he would talk about these books, etc. And every time, even if he would have a 10 minute interaction with him, it would just feel like he knows something about this game that I don't. And I have not found that content in any books or etc. It was essentially the pursuit of that content that, you know, you have figured out certain things, you know, certain things. For example, I wrote Dipinder four or five mails back in 2014, 2015. Uh, he didn't reply on one of the mails. He, he actually, and this is something that we laugh about now. I was just telling him this uh, last month. He said, this was his reply to one of the mails. And I think I, I didn't stop. And then I think I was in Delhi and I wrote him another mail. But he said, I will meet you in your next Delhi trip for 15 minutes. So I reached Bangalore and then I wrote him a mail that, oh, I'm traveling this weekend only. But I was not traveling. I, I was planning to travel for him. He gave me exactly 15 minutes. He, came, he called me to office at 8 a.m. That's when Zomato starts working. He came, he was distracted in 10 other things. In those 15 minutes, he spoke a lot of things. I don't remember some of those, but the thing I remember which changed our game was, he said, grow 1% every day. That's the only thing that matters. Now, looking at his office or what Zomato had achieved then, and from if, if, if you get something like that advice from that person, the arbitrage of that knowledge and that content is huge in the head of a 25 year old founder who has not built anything yet. So 
essentially these mentors or the people let's call them the best players of the game for example whether it's girish whether it's bhavan whether it's dipender whether it's ritesh whether it's anyone even beju these are people who have cracked something in the game that a, a, a founder who has just started or just today series a can learn a lot from and because they have internalized it even a half an hour conversation with them will bring that up now b- because dipender had internalized this whole growth thing even in that 15 minutes he ended up telling me about growth and that's such a beautiful thing i mean it might save you 6 months 12 months 24 months because and that's why who cares about rejection if you have to be the best player in the world or if you have to build the best company in the world you will get rejections left right and center what happens to everyone deal with it and get up and go to the next pitch or and try getting the next meeting and that's how we look at rejection and that's how we mostly end up getting unrejected so by the way i don't think you guys appreciate this enough but like kalyan is very close to gorav i don't think kalyan mentors many founders right or at least has not been this closely involved i don't think sujith has this been this closely involved but at least three top founders what you call the best players of the game have been closely involved with an academy's journey right and maybe more because also kunal dipinder like many have been involved five founders and uh, the best investor i i'm i'm extremely privileged i was talking uh, that uh, you are on our board because you are almost like a co-founder to us and most of the things that i have learned from you are most of the things that have been impactful in our journey i have learned from you and i know uh, you are modest and you don't like to hear these things but it's the truth i mean you are also one of the best players of the game no thank you i i learned from founders by the way so it's vice versa okay like like no i no. i think you are just being modest because no, i no, it's true like i wasn't born with any knowledge but okay thank you but but uh, okay talk a little bit about how you do board management informal now thankfully now you've reduced your amount of of updates on on whatsapp on daily metrics and all that but especially in the early years you were over communicating a lot you had whatsapp groups talk a little bit about that because i think what you did was very unusual by the way gorov has not done very many formal board meetings he doesn't do them as much as other people do but he actually overcompensates by having a lot more casual conversation with his board and shareholders compared to a normal founder so she on the inside unacademy is ultra transparent you know with what's going on in the company uh, i'd say much more than a normal company um even though there is less formal engagement on boards and so on and so forth so gorov you want to maybe share about how and also now now you have different whatsapp groups for different people so you know share about that also as the company has grown see essentially and i'll be super transparent about this answer um i will also tell the selfish reason why i did started it and then i'll also tell why i continued doing it essentially i figured out that one of the interesting ways to raise money is to have a lot of mind share of many investors so when they think about any company to invest and they think about you so i created a broadcast list of 100 investors and they used to get and, and it's like content because we understand content content is about consistency 8 baje ek episode jana chahiye aapke youtube channel pe so on monday so every monday you have to send a episode so i 
third i mean this is also con every communication is content basically every communication that you do you are creating that text content and people will read that as content <laughs> i just thought that you know it's an interesting way you know why not create sort of like a show for these 100 investors and the they get excited like, like you get excited about entertainment these people get excited about the growth in numbers and we are growing massively one thing that interestingly started happening was everyone was talking about us you got top of the mind recall it's like how you build a brand because you are sharing that content but one interesting thing that happened us was my relationship with my board or the advice that i was getting so i started for that reason and it helped me in a lot of fundraise for example if shahrukh khan is doing a new movie you will see him in all the youtube channels and all the tv shows promoting his movie so if 3 months before the fundraise i would just go all in with every single whatsapp group i think this is what we did but eventually i ended up building great relationships with my board and um, um, i started getting a lot of advice and the next fundraise would be sorted like you would build relationships with people who would invest in the next round so i think this was this was very valuable it helps in fundraise you just build a culture of transparency i mean if numbers are not growing you are transparent about it that's fine i mean and uh, uh, and then you build these uh, what's the word uh, people who cheer for you like you build these people who cheer for you uh, let's say there is an investor x and because that investor x is seeing your metrics every week and then somebody yeah champions is the word uh, and then somebody would meet them and ask them oh what's the what's what's the company that's doing well because you have cracked brand and content the first name that will come is anakat obviously you have to perform for that you have to ensure that you know you have to make a good movie for the movie to sell so just like that your numbers need to grow for you to have top of the mind recall but it's also product and marketing let's say your product is that your numbers are growing and you want to sell that product to investors but then marketing is that you are talking about that growing numbers to a series of investors and it it just i have internalized it so much today that you know now it's sort of like a habit that there are 10 people i will tell that you know this is what we did in the month uh, sometimes it has backfired also being so openly transparent uh, but mostly the pros outweigh the cons uh, internally let's say there are 100 people who know every single metric in the company again it has backfired because our competitors get easy access to our metrics but it's fine i think the pros outweigh the cons we have built great relationships with the board uh, i'm super transparent i'll give you one advice about investor management it's the only advice that you need um first figure out what is your working style write it down on a piece of paper this is my working style for example if you like a collaborative approach with investors if you would like to talk to them every week write that if you want a different approach write that now whatever your approach is do a good job of communicating that in our series b round this is not sequoia this is one another investor who we were talking to um, and uh, i i just told them on the face that i'll meet you once a quarter please don't uh, ping me apart from that and i was not trying to be rude i was just doing good expectation setting uh, samir from nexus tells me that of all the companies he works with he is the most hands off with an academy so he is a very hands on investor in every company but he is hands off with an academy because that's the way i like it 
investors will not mind if you are transparent with them i am now shalendra i might ping every 3 days because this that's something i want i like to ping and take advice from him every 2 or 3 days this way they know what you want what's your best working style and this way they will not so for, for example um, i i think my board has given me immense freedom in return i give them transparency and results i give them transparency and results they don't bother me with the small stuff when there is a need i they help me and i uh, change paths or fix whatever is wrong etc so um, figure out what works for you communicate it to the board and uh, trust them like most people are good uh, trust them that they will follow that and if somebody is not following that then i mean i mean then i can you can ping me on whatsapp and i'll tell you what <laughs> <laughs> by the way this is very very profound and powerful advice to be clear about your style with yourself first and then be clear with what how much engagement you're expecting from investors got of set very clear ground rules with them saying that look if you want to talk to my management team you know you have to give me a heads up first for example if you have data request you first come to me so i think i think you set some good ground rules which again now they all honor them and they they play by the ground rules but i think most founders don't have the maturity to to feel confident enough to set the ground rules uh, you know with with the board and investors which which like god of said if you upfront transparent transparently communicate and say look this is how i expect to work with you guys uh, and it may not be the same with everyone you can choose to work closely with some you can choose to work you know more hands off with others yeah yeah um, it, it's also one of the skills that internally we talk about um whatever happens we as founders have the responsibility and this is up, this applies to top leadership my leadership is also there so uh, again an advice for them like personal productivity is a massive thing if you fix it you can suddenly be 5x 10x more productive confrontation most people avoid confrontation uh as founders and leaders you can't be bad at like you you can't avoid confrontation so you have to become good at uh taking confrontations head on yeah okay what you just said is deeply profound <laughs> okay double click on this please for everybody's benefit and i think people who will be more confrontational you are at risk of being misunderstood okay so people will think people might for a period of time especially think you're arrogant or you're pushing back or you're being you know too direct and so on and so forth but what god of just said is when you run a company when you're a leader people will want things from you so people will want things from you for their own agenda yeah because they want something from your company right it could be investment gains it could be a lower valuation it could be a higher higher economic package in your leadership team but you have to do what's right for the company and actually the more direct you can be about exactly what you want to do what gorov is call, calling confrontational i would also say another way to say it is you know call it you know truth seeking you know sometimes seeking truth truth seeking can be confrontational you know uh, versus it is sometimes easier to just throw an issue under the rug and not be confrontational or not be truth seeking uh, so you know um, but god of i don't know if you want to double click on this but but within sequoia we call this the get real culture our internal updates are called get real they're not called updates because we don't want people to be selling we want people to be real real means you say what's good you say what's not working 
and you know uh, and and you are you're not drinking the kool-aid so i think i think we call it the get real culture and gaurav is referring to it I, like i said i think this is a very very profound thing but gaurav you want to double click some examples of how i think maybe an example or two of when you were confrontational initially it caused friction but then later on it built trust because people respect the transparency right like they know exactly what they get yeah no i think i think uh, what also happens is happens that uh, uh, i mean you on day one you have to build that trust for example today if i'm a little more confrontational or if i'm saying personal productivity works it's also because an academy is a 3.44 billion dollar organization if i would talk about these things early on so you have to build this trust uh, uh, early on um, uh, with your team etc and uh, uh, th there are many people in 2017 2018 who would not be very fond of our culture because we, what we we are today we were like that even then it was a very candid open netflix like culture where radical candor is respected and uh, in early days etc like radical candor is not appreciated as much as it is appreciated in the late stages so by confrontation i mean is that every time you suppress a feeling every time let's say you wanted to give a feedback to your co-founder or you wanted to give give a feedback to your cfo or you wanted to give a feedback to your vice president or you wanted to give a feedback to your board member i mean i have had immense confrontations with my board members where we have like had debates at 1 am in the night don't suppress that just figure out a right way to communicate that because by not telling the truth you are doing them a disservice let's say there is an employee in your team you are not happy with his or her work but the employee has been around for 3 years and you don't want to hurt the employee because you know he or she was there from day one but you don't like their work and you are avoiding confrontation because so far you have never given them a feedback but so far there was no need to give a feedback but you are doing them a disservice essentially because if you don't give them feedback they won't have a chance to improve and you will have anyway have to fire the person in one year so why not figure out what communication works for that person i have people in my team you need to see see essentially all leadership is about what you are feeling the other person understands that let's say in my head the issue is a 9 on 10 issue i have a leader who i will just write a slack message saying i am not happy this is not how it should have been done the other leader would suddenly have a 9 on 10 response that oh this is a 9 on 10 issue but most leaders are not like that some other leaders you might have to have a half an hour chat for you to make them realize that it's a 9 on 10 issue because if you just tell them on a message they might think it's a 2 on 10 issue essentially the you as a leader want your reportees to be on the same page and every person is different so the confrontation style is not just about that you know it's a debate or you're shouting at each other no it's about what works for the other person a slack message works for few of my team members for others uh, you know uh, a half an hour conversation works for somebody else a more heated debate works 
it's what works for them. But you have to drill down that point that, hey, this is a nine or 10 issue or, hey, you know, what you are and where you have to be, there is a strong arbitrage. If you don't confront and fix this, you are doing them a disservice because you will eventually fire them if they are not good. Because as founders, you will continue to evolve and you will evolve faster than your team. That's why it's important to confront. That's why it's important to give feedback. And that's why it's important to communicate it the right way that what's nine in nine on 10 in your head should be nine on 10 in their head. Yeah, again, very, very, very good advice, Gaurav. On, uh, uh, I'll just give a nuance on this. At Sequoia, we call this truth-seeking a lot, where we try to, we try to uh, you know, be, have this intellectually honest you know, viewpoint of the world. And sometimes it's not as pleasing, but we feel like we're, if you trust, if there's enough internal trust that it's in the greater good, it's in the good of the organization, we are all trying to do the right thing, then it gives you the license to be more truth-seeking. Um, so I think trust is a big enabler for having this sort of culture. Thank you, Gaurav. Phenomenal session, lots of massive nuggets. Thanks a lot for inviting me. I think this also helps us in like me and the leadership in documenting our learnings because otherwise we never open up about these things. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you. And, you know, not just for this third session, but for every cohort, you come and very generously shared learnings, experiences, hacks. I also know some people have copied your strategies in other tech companies too, <laughs> which, which wasn't always ideal, but you've still been willing to be open, remain open and keep sharing. So thank you. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having Thanks, Amesh. Thank you, everyone. That was one of India's most inspiring startup founders, Gaurav Munjal. He's the co-founder and CEO of Unacademy, in conversation with Shailendra Singh, Managing Director at Sequoia India. For more startup stories, visit our website, sequoiacap.com, or follow us on Spotify. I'm Dewi Fabri, and you've been listening to Moonshot.